Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Glad to have you along. Hey, Lewis and Keith and Caitlin. A beautiful morning in Montana, she says. Uh, Lewis says it was blurry, but uh, yeah. So the uh, the camera saga continues. Um, anyway, I won't get into all the details, but basically I need to remember to uh, have someone help me focus it, and then I forget. And uh, so sometimes I can't get it locked in the way it's supposed to be. Sometimes I can. Anyway, glad to see. Hey, thinking about Jesus, good morning. Glad to have you with us. All right, so we are about to wrap up our brief series here on the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, uh, today and uh, tomorrow. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up then and probably then get into Romans next week, but I'll let you know more about that tomorrow. So here's the question. We use the phrase regarding Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We sing it. It's in many hymns, many more contemporary songs. Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Well, my first question is, what does it mean? Well, there are kings. There are governments. There are rulers on planet Earth. All of them have a high king, right? Jesus. Of all the kings, Jesus is the king of kings. He's, he's their king. They all submit to him. They all bow to him. They are all subject to him. He's the highest ranking king of all the kings there are. Same thing with Lord, the word Lord of Lords. Uh, there are lots of lords, small l. There are lots of masters and leaders and decision makers and those in authority, but all of them submit to the Lord, who is the Lord of all of them. I'm assuming you all agree with that. I'm assuming you all would get a give a hearty amen to that. Which leads to my second question. Do we believe that the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, is actually exercising kingship and lordship over those other kingdoms today? It seems to me like, even if we would say yes to that second question, it seems to me like we have a hesitance to actually look at what's happening in the world and see that Jesus is active in ruling. We don't have any problem with Jesus active in saving the lost. Right? You preach the gospel. Somebody preaches the gospel to someone. They repent of their sin. They proclaim faith in Jesus. Maybe they get baptized. They start attending your church. Jesus saved them. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. But what about everything else that's part of life? He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. The fundamental confession of Christianity is Jesus is Lord. That is a political statement. And yet we seem more hesitant to actually observe what's going on and say Jesus is active politically in this world. It seems like, and, and again, this is a generalization. Maybe I've got a really smart group here. Maybe none of you struggle with this. But as I, 
as I had listened to Christians, talked to Christians and I have for 25 years, and even my own thinking years ago, it seems like we are comfortable with what we call spiritual realm, which is not even a biblical term, I don't think, but it's like the spiritual lives Jesus is a king of, but the political, earthly, uh, daily life, Jesus isn't really involved in that. Well, obviously, you can tell by the way I'm framing all this. I think that's a mistaken view, and we need to uh, to change that view. So I'm going to try to show you. This is in the context of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus is king now, and he's reigning and ruling over the earth. All right. So I said today we were going to get into uh, Paul's description of the kingdom, and actually I'm going to save that to, to tomorrow because I want to do one more uh, preliminary look. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to have Christmas in July today. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9. You know this, uh, this passage, at least from the Christmas time and Christmas songs. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. See the contrast? There are people who are in darkness in Isaiah's day, but they are going to have light. You, the Lord, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. That's going to be important tomorrow. Gladness, joy. It's going to increase. They're in darkness. There's not a lot of joy, but it's going to increase. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Military terms here. When a, an army goes and conquers their enemies, they celebrate because in, in ancient days at least, then they got to take as plunder all the possessions of the conquered nation. As with gladness of harvest, when, when you do the hard work to plant a field full of crops and then it all grows as you hoped and you get to enjoy the fruit of all that labor. That's the kind of gladness and joy that they're going to experience. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. These people are being oppressed. The Lord's going to break those who oppress them. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Why? For a child will be born to us, a son will be given. Now, I would assume that all of you listening to me would agree that Isaiah is prophesying of Jesus, right? Has the child been born? Has the son been given to us? The answer is yes. This is Jesus. He was born. The son was given, right? Well, what does it say about it when that happens then? The government will rest on his shoulders. Nothing here about saving anybody. The government will rest on his shoulders. This Light that's coming 
this harvest, this gladness when the oppressor is released or conquered, I should say, is going to happen because the son is going to be given to us, the child's going to be born, and the government, he's going to carry the government on his shoulder. That's a political statement. His arms, his arms, where did I get that? His name, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. These are military terms. Counselor, uh, we just must get out of our head the idea of therapy. There is nothing in the Bible that correlates to what we call therapy or counseling. I'm not a fan of Christian counseling. I'm not a fan of therapy. It's not good. It's not helpful most of the time. It's usually based in non-Christian terms, even Christian and so-called biblical counselors. Don't think of Jesus as a counselor, as a therapist. This is military counsel. Mighty God, another term of strength. Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. All of this kingdom terminology. His government's going to increase. When the son is born to us, his government is going to grow and expand. He's going to be on the throne of David, the kingdom. He's going to establish it. He's going to uphold David's kingdom with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is not our future. This is going to happen when the sun has come and the sun has come. Well, then he goes on and talks about God's judgment coming in the near future for them on Jerusalem and the city and the temple, 586. But then in chapter 11, so it's all one continuous oracle here. So the child is going to be born. And then the Lord talks about how he's going to uh, judge the Jews in Jerusalem, which we now know happened in 586. In that same context, he talks further about the one who's coming. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So he's given some history of what's going to happen, how God's going to judge Jerusalem, and then predicts that eventually a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Uh, Jesse was David's father. So there will be another branch from the line of David. That's Jesus. And look what this says. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom. Spirit of understanding. The spirit of counsel. Again, military counsel. And strength, military strength, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he, this one who's coming, will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor 
and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. What this means is he's not going to be persuaded or swayed by the circumstances of those who come before him as judge. There is no affirmative action with this judge. He's not going to let you off the hook because of your skin color, because of your status of life, because you're poor or rich. He's not going to be swayed by pity to, to, uh, to set aside justice because of your background and the hard things you've been through. When he rules, he's going to rule with justice, with fairness. He's going to treat everyone the same. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. This is happening now, folks. This is him exercising his kingship over the earth. This is not a future thing. This is not the final judgment, last day. This is him reigning and ruling the kingdom that he will bring with him when he sits on the throne of David. He's going to rule with this. Also, righteousness will be his belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. This needs to inform your understanding of Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. We sometimes want the righteousness to be justification by faith. It's not the context. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. Remember, there's going to be peace. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the little boy will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. The weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and a resting place will be glorious. And he goes on. He says, how do you get military in this context? Um, what other, what else do you see here? Striking the earth with the rod of his mouth? Deciding? Uh, maybe referring back, these words, I'm telling you the Hebrew words that lie behind counsel and strength, these are used in the scripture as like a military, uh, uh, what, what do we call it? A, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, when the military advisors gather, what's the, not, not the chief of staff, what's the, the, the Department of Def Sec Secretary of Defense and what's that group in the U.S.? Uh, I'm having a mind blank here. Um, the, the, the advisors that come around the president that he seeks input from as to whether or not to attack or, or do whatever, that's the, the kind of word this is describing. So it's, it, the word itself communicates it. Uh, and the strength part is military strength. That's just what the word is referring to. All right, so the spirit of the Lord is going to rest on this one who comes and he is going to rule and judge, and uh, be fair, strike with the rod of his mouth, and all those kind of things, all right? So then we come to Matthew, and we read this. A demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus. He healed him. 
So the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed. They were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? Is this the one? Is this the root of Jesse? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Basically, he's saying, this man casts out demons by Satan. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, really? Think this through. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? It's like, you're a bunch of idiots. You all think that demons are from Satan's army, right? And I'm casting out demons by the power of Satan. So you think Satan is giving me the power to cast out Satan's troops? Realize how absurd and foolish that is? That's crazy. Then he says, if by Beelzebul I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. That's an interesting phrase, but we don't have time to talk about it now. But then he says this, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You claim that my power comes from Satan. That's absurd. That's a manifest absurdity, nonsense statement. But on the other hand, if the power behind my ability to cast out demons comes from God's spirit, that means God's kingdom is here. That means I'm the king, the son of David, the one who's going to take David's throne, who's going to rule and crush my enemies. And with the sword of my mouth, I'm going to destroy the enemies and I'm going to take charge of the government and my government is going to increase and peace is going to increase. So, did Jesus come? Did he cast out demons by the power of God's spirit? If so, then God's kingdom has come. The child has been born. The son has been given. And he's sitting on the throne, reigning over heaven and earth now. That means he's reigning over earth now. And he's the king of kings now. He is ruling and reigning now politically. Not just saving people. Not just meeting with you when you have your quiet time. Not just meeting with you when you have your special devotional time at church. I know I've said this a lot, but I'm going to keep saying it until we believe it. We, we have reduced Christianity. Well, and again, I know this is an overstatement, but I'm just, I want you to be aware of how you might think this way without being conscious of it. It seems like we have reduced Christianity and reduced Jesus's rule to our hearts. And especially when we have those really 
wonderful feelings and experiences when we read our devotional books, or maybe it's even the Bible we're reading in the morning, and we get together with some other Christians, we sing songs, and we go to a service, and we think, ah, that was really good and spiritual. And Jesus' reign and rule is basically in those quiet times and in our church meetings. But then we drive home, and the rest of the week, we're out in Satan's kingdom. Or we're almost deistic, like nobody's really ruling. We're just secularized and going through the motions. No, the king is reigning and ruling now. And his glory is not yet covering the earth. Did you notice at the end of uh, the section I read in, uh, where was it? In uh, in Isaiah 11, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The nations will resort to the root of Jesse. We're not there yet. It's happening. Compared to the first century, when only a handful of people believed that Jesus was the king, and then a few thousand, compared to that, I mean, I I live thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, and there are a lot of people here in Colorado that worship Jesus as king. And I know some of you are in other parts of the world. And there are a lot of people who worship Jesus as king there. But the glory of the Lord doesn't fill the earth yet. There are still nations, maybe in some sense, all nations are still not calling upon the name of the Lord. Individuals are, but nations aren't. What about the the ruling and, and judging his enemies and ruling with the rod and so on? Do we actively think that Jesus is crushing the wicked? I know here in our government in the U.S., the corruption is on full display. And more news every day is revealing the corruption of our president and many others in the federal level, but also in more local levels. I believe Jesus is exposing the corruption. I believe he's judging our corrupt leaders. He's the king. They're supposed to be ruling with justice and righteousness, and they're not. And it looks to me like King Jesus has had enough, and he's exposing them. I've been praying for that. So whether you agree with me on all the details here or not is not really the point. The point is, do you believe that Jesus is king of your nation, of your government, that his kingdom is growing, that he's going to also increase peace, the knowledge and worship of him is going to expand, and that he's active In the political realm, do you see these are all political statements? Kingdom is a political statement. It is not a 
an individualistic, worshipful church statement. The Bible doesn't say he is simply ruling in our hearts. He's the king over everything. Do we see that? Do we, do we live in that way? Do we recognize our nations are subject to the high king Jesus? And if, if it really gets in our, in our bloodstream that the kingdom of God has come. Remember he said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If the kingdom of God is here, if Jesus is sitting on the throne, that's good news. We should have all the confidence in the world today because we have willingly bowed the knee to the highest king of all. And all of the unbelieving politicians, all the wicked and corrupt, they are in defiance of the high king. They are rebels in his kingdom. And eventually the high king is going to do something about it. Could be today, could be tomorrow, next week, next year, it's coming. The kingdom of God is here. That's a good thing. So rejoice. Be glad. Celebrate the harvest. Celebrate, celebrate the peace and blessings that he's pouring out upon us. He's a good king. And he loves his people. All right, our time is up. Uh, tomorrow we're going to wrap this uh, series up and we will look and see what Paul had to say about the kingdom. Think on these things. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care.